Well, 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 we've made it through. And I just want to say to everyone who is supporting the Patreon, thank you very much. Seriously, thank you. Weekend at Effie's Patreon, thank you. Uh, and if you're not supporting the Patreon, you don't know that we recorded the mini episode before we recorded the main Weekend at Effie's episode. And uh, I'll never tell you why unless you sign up. And that's not me saying you should. It's just saying I'm not bringing up what we got into. Uh, it was real. It was emotional. It was human. This will be too. I'm going to just talk from the heart. Who knows where we'll get? I'm not cured over here yet. I'm still a little stuffy-nosed on what we were discussing, but it's fine. It People, is, is kind of like where you get through a TV show and they give you that one big flashback and you go, oh, this changes everything. Right, right. It does It does shift everything. And if you're listening to this now from the Patreon early, I suggest listening to the mini-sode first, but you don't have to. You could listen to it after. Uh, we went to Chicago, Peter. Peter, I want to reflect on you the first time I went to Chicago. Not the first time I went to Chicago ever, but when we went last year for the Second City Summit. Technically, the first year of the Second City Summit uh, was a part of StarCast, and I fought Nick Gage, which was kind of a big coming out party for me. I had never had a GCW title match before. Barely anyone knew, you know, kind of, I mean, there were people who knew who I was, but it was, I was a relatively unknown. And, you know, Nick Gage, that story of Nick Gage saying, we're going to find out who this motherfucker is with some ultra violence. That was, uh, that was a big night for me. And I remember being in that same building that we were in this weekend, the grand sports arena. And now I have to tell you, uh, after being in there as many times as I have, I don't know if it's a real place or if it's somewhere in, uh, maybe another galaxy where I process things every few years. Because that seems to be sort of the case we're on. Now, that second year I came back, I had another title match that Friday night for Black Label Pro against Jake Something. And I had a spectacular amount of matches. Were we doing the podcast at this point yet? Or were we not there last year when I when I had that Chicago weekend with Big Game Brunch? I'm not sure if we were there yet. Maybe we were. Yeah, we had to have been. I believe we were. Yeah, because we're over a year now, so that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Taking on seven matches in five days is the dumbest thing I've ever done. And I reflected on that and said, I'm not doing that this year. I'm not going to do it. Because at the end of last year, after my brunch, you know, Sunday at the brunch, you know, big, big gay brunch in Chicago the last time, I was probably a little too rude to some people. I was, I remember feeling just scatterbrained. I remember feeling not in control of anything. And it was part of that was just like, you know, the things we discuss on the mini side, but part of that is also like, uh, I've overdone it. Like I've just worn a human body out past its point. I am meat. We've said it before. We'll mm-hmm. say it again. I am just a piece of meat with a spirit in it, hopefully. And that is hard to do. It's hard for the fans to be there and stand the whole time. And then for me to do that as well with the seven matches on top and running a show, it's too much. So this year I said to myself, I'm paring it down. I want to, not be uh, just pulled as razor thin as I, I have been before. And it actually worked out in that aspect because I only had three matches the whole weekend. Granted, one of them is the War Games match still. And the disadvantage to this year's War Games match, well, we'll get into the, the disadvantages. I have a dead cricket stuck to my arm. What does that mean, do you think? I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm going to take it as a good sign. Maybe if the cricket, I don't know. Jiminy Cricket. The new Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks, where he just plays. (laughs) See, this is the thing. Hold on. Sidebar before I get into fucking Chicago. Okay. If Tom Hanks is the real Tom Hanks, okay, and wasn't replaced on Castaway Island, 
when the oopsie daisy happened and they put the skinny guy in there, why does he keep taking roles that will, I don't want to say disguise, but I sort of want to say like, it's sort of like, you ever see Mickey Mouse and there's a hundred types of Mickey Mouse, but every time you can tell it's Mickey Mouse, right? It's always Mickey Mouse. Like there's all the different styles of drawing and animation and this, but with Tom Hanks, I think they're uh, obfuscating, I think is the word I'm looking for. I think they're purposefully obfuscating Tom Hanks in these roles so that we don't catch on to the fact that like, it's not the original guy. Uh, I think of like this role, the Boz Lorman Elvis role of Colonel, Colonel Parker, uh, the, the whole thing with the Polar Express where he plays a boy and Santa and a man. I'm, I just, Tom Hanks in these roles, it's scaring me. What was the movie I was even referencing that I was thinking about with Pinocchio. Tom Hanks? Pinocchio. So they got him as Geppetto with his little Geppetto hair doing his Geppetto voice. What is Tom Hanks' real voice? We don't know. That could just be his red carpet voice. He could speak like this. We don't know. We don't know what inhabits Tom Hanks. And until I see him in person, I don't trust it. What's funny to me is I started my uh, I started my wrestling journey after consuming far too many psychedelics and losing my brain completely, melting away, losing my entire ego, and wondering if John Cena was real. And here I am a decade later going, I don't even think Tom Hanks is real. <laughs> I clearly have not cured the bottom of this problem, but it doesn't eat me up at night anymore. I still think there's a weird glass ceiling where, like, also Westworld has messed my brain up with this. Uh, some people are real. Some people are not. We'll find out later. I agree with that. I think there's some fill-ins for us, pal. I think so, too. <sighs> Makes me nervous. But then but, again, but just I, be nice to everyone, you know? I also think that fill-ins sometimes are help. No, for sure. For sure. No, like the NPCs are not all bad. But I do think like, think about this, Peter. Okay. Some of these rags to riches stories that you have with people where it's like over an overnight sensation and they're here. If I went from like literally being poor forever to like being a, a trillionaire, uh, I would imagine there are some risks with this that would have to be assessed by the government. Like, I'm pretty sure billionaires have to check in with the government because with all that money, you can do some crazy stuff. Now, let's just cut to the chase. Why have real humans doing that role at all? Why not have them just be a lookup to uh, so that we can we can say, well, one day I'll have a billion dollars. But really, like, nobody actually has a billion dollars. We just hide stuff, and there's a whole mecha Terminator underground thing going on. This is deep conspiracy. I don't think I should stick on this. We should probably talk about Chicago. Is Aaron Rodgers just someone to look up to, or is he a fucking android, Peter? Can he really throw the football? I've seen Tom Brady. I don't think that's real. Oh, Tom Brady married the prettiest model of all? Oh, yeah. That sounds like some real android shit going on. It's like that J-Lo movie where she's like, celebrities sometimes pick people from the crowd and want to marry them. Just to let us have that Wait, idea in our a, mind. That's a J-Lo movie? J-Lo, Owen Wilson, in the movie Marry Me. I think it's called Marry Me, where he's at the con. He's like, I don't even like J-Lo. And she's like, yes, you do. And he's like, all right. And then they get married. And he's like, wow, I didn't know you were a real person. And she's like, and now I'm finding out you're a real person. Let's fart together. That scene isn't real, but it could. It seems like it could be pretty fun. Uh, yeah, that's a real movie, but sometimes wow. you just like, I don't want to be over here conspiracy theorying my way into, uh, making YouTube videos where I try to pl- prove the earth is flat and I disprove it. But I do like to have these thoughts of like, there are certain aspects of celebrity and of our particular brand of Hollywood entertainment, whether it be in music or media or whatever, where like, you just got to wonder some of these people, but then is that just the media making everyone look like a, like a wild uh, God creature, as we say, are there people looking over at me who don't maybe listen to this podcast and only see me, and they're like, he might not be a real person. 
I am though. I poop in the toilet. I've told people that plenty of times. We're trying to get over that bad habit. I think that's actually a first reveal that. Fuck! He oh, does poop. the kayfabe's <laughs> dead. No, I'm a human. I think I have to do this for the good of my soul. All right, I've lied before, guys. Uh, I've lied for a very long time. Uh, I've told many people that I've never pooped, and I just want you to know that that I I have. I'm a real person. <laughs> I have pooped, and sometimes I think you need to know that people poop so that they're even that much more spectacular. It's just like Lady Gaga did. You're like, how is how are you going to go from being this unapproachable? And you're on a whole different part of the stage in a robot dress to just laying in with the people and letting it out like a fireside piano chat. That's the marvel of that. I don't know. Maybe it is all real. Maybe we all poop in the toilet. We should anyway, Peter. I haven't even gotten to Chicago yet. We had a great time in Chicago. I landed early. I caught up with Alley Catch. We could drag this out forever, but Trevor Outlaw picked us up, and we had a beautiful day in the city. Like We just went around, enjoyed ourselves, took in the sights, went to Target. That night, though, and this is, I believe they're changing their tag team name, Peter, but Bussy was scheduled to face... The Bang Bros. The Bang Bros oh, were going to be bros taking are changing on their name. Pussy. Yeah, pussy. Bussy. The Bang Bros were going to be taking on Bussy. I was going to say, I think it's called something different. If the, ba- the, bang, the Bang series that's gay that features more Bussy, I think it's called something different. But Bang Bros, I do think that they fuck women on that one. I'm not sure. There's one where they swap them and the guy's like, I've never expected this. Why is there a man? Okay, it's fine. You got $100? Like, I get it. Uh, but the Bang Bros... They're a hot up-and-coming tag team, okay? They've got all the tools. They're also called the Bang Bros, which I love. But I understand if they're going to move forward in their own rank. We can't all be bussy and just not give a shit and say right. fuck you to everyone in our name. Uh, so I get it, but I'm glad that we got to have this moment with with the Bang Bros before that shift may have occurred. Because there's nothing funnier to me than a poster that says Bussy vs. Bang Bros, and it says wrestling, but nobody knows what kind. I'm sure there have to be a few people who like come across that and are like, hang on, I want to go see this. It's happening at a public place? Is this like a good old-fashioned sex show? No, it's real professional wrestling in an arcade with a bar. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, this might get cut out because yeah. I haven't... So, can we talk about AJ setting up a... Um... A customs match. Yes. Okay. We he have told to. me about this on Sunday. This is a fun sidebar. How did he describe it to you? Because this is his pricing. I let him take over my booking email for a minute. And I was like, baby, he's like, I'll get you more money. Like, I can do it. And I was like, okay, baby, if you want to answer some emails, bad idea. I love him. Not the best idea. I think he tried to charge a podcast the same amount that he tried to charge someone for the customs match that he was setting up. Well, he told me what you're, he said, this is his rate. So I just said, this is Taylor's rate. <laughs> right. Which for a podcast would be expensive for what you were being asked to do in the customs match. A little low. Like they probably thought they were getting a deal. Well, yeah. And it makes you question what you're pricing for the wrestling thing too. Cause the customs match, I wouldn't even have to follow my neck. I would just grunt and do body scissors. And I think, you know, they had requested someone to be in the match with me or something. And that didn't work. It's because we were, we were watching the wrong gay brunch, okay. which we'll get to later. Okay. Um, and JV Dow, I believe, was yes. the other human in the customs match. Okay. They wanted JV Dahl versus Effie in a customs match. Mm-hmm. And I guess AJ didn't know if he could get a hold of JV Dahl, but 
he suggested that he be the opponent in the match as well. And that we could do that customs match with me and him for that price. And I was like, baby, I'm not, I'm going to not freak out right now. I'm really, I really appreciate your help. We, you can never answer another email and you got to block the sender. This is not good. Uh, that's the hard thing about getting help with what I'm doing is there are nuances to certain things. There are relationships and previous communication with certain things that if I just put like, if I was like, Deborah, can you do this 20 hours a week? She'd be like, hell yeah. And then like by week two, I'd be like, oh, what have you done? And I wouldn't have any yeah. bookings anymore. Like it's, you have to find someone who understands it. And also like, I'm probably too much of a like super liberal soft heart. And I couldn't, I can't do what people do when it comes to interns. It's bullshit. I want fair pay for everyone, and I would be a fucking hypocrite if I wasn't trying to give everybody their fucking due. So I can't bring in people to do work for me and not like, I don't know. It's a thing. He was helping. It didn't help. We did not do the customs match. I also didn't do the podcast. Um, I don't do podcasts anymore, really. I'll be honest. I just want to make that clear here because I still get a lot of requests, and I'm busy. I'm too busy for my fucking self. So if you want to hear Effie's interview about anything that's important, it's going to be here. That's the facts. Back in an arcade, these arcades are kind of like, they have a few of them. There's two in Chicago. There's one in San Francisco. I think there's a couple elsewhere, the Emporium Arcades, and they're extremely fun. And they kept handing me free tokens. Now, when I first got off everything and was completely sober at 23, I went bowling a lot. And bowling and skee-ball are very similar so once they handed me all these tokens, I just started ripping out the ski wall. And there was a few games where I'm like killing it. And then I got someone and I was like, hey, record me playing ski ball because I'm killing it. And of course, on that run, I did horribly. And so the only video proof of me being good at ski ball and rolling sports is a lie. It's a lie. So I think we're going to have to live stream some ski ball one day. Get the people to see that like I am a ski ball master. I can hit those 10,000s in the corner. I know my way around a ski ball place. <laughs> But that wasn't the reason we were there. It was the Bang Bros. And I think when you have a match like Bussy versus the Bang Bros, there's a hard battle I have to have in my mind, which is one, it's right there. <laughs> like, you could just go have a weird, horny match. Right. Two, that's what they expect. You can never give them what they expect. Three, if you don't give them what they expect, will they come back for what it is? And four, do these young kids need us to go all the way with it? So... I put a lot of pressure on myself to call the balance out of that match to sort of figure out, hey, uh, how do we make sure we bring in all of these elements, make it so sick, make it insane, go all the way. It was so hot in that arcade, and I was working my ass off. But that was a hell of a match for freelance wrestling. It's on IWTV. Davey Bang, incredible. Uh, did a lot of spots with him. He even had me running the ropes and shit and going real fast and doing a lot of moves. You know, it was... It was an unfortunate end for Bussy. Bang Bros conquered the Bussy. Uh, and, you know, 2022, if he doesn't lose. But later in the year, I'm starting to have to cover up those losses <laughs> in a different way. Maybe I win in different ways. Like I learn a valuable lesson, perhaps, or something. But uh, in the other sense, no, it's, uh, it's okay to lose sometimes. And these guys are on fire right now. They trained with freelance. And I got to be honest, I probably shouldn't say anything, but... I've had I have a long friendship with Isaiah Velasquez, who does a lot of the training for freelance and has been a freelance superstar. Uh, he pulled me aside. And he was like, "You're a damn good pro wrestler." And I was like, "Isaiah doesn't 
do any of the wrestling I do. Isaiah is a wrestler's wrestler and he's good at it and he knows how to get heat and he's a character. But to have someone like that say that after that match, you know, after you bust your ass, sometimes I bust my ass and I do good wrestling and I entertain a whole room of people and then they clip five seconds and shit on me for five days. It's not the most fun thing in the world, Peter. So to have your peers sort of pull you aside and recognize it and not just like, they just want to hang out with Effie and be like, Oh, we love you. Effie, Effie, everything you do is perfect. And we want to kiss you. It's like bro to bro, like you did great. And it, it meant something and it was very nice. So if you want to know what Bussy versus Bang Bros was, it was good pro wrestling. And that would probably surprise a lot of people who were watching from the outside. I told you I was keeping restfulness in this spirit. And Friday, the show was BLP and uh, GCW doing a combined show. I said, forget about it. I'm not booked. I'm going to chill. We slept in. Well, I thought I was going to sleep in. Here's how I operate, Peter. Once again, me not saying no to anything. After we finish the match, I'm exhausted. I've been up since 6 in the morning or whatever it is. And we're finishing. And I'm like, we're going to go to bed. This is great. I can just sleep in and catch up on sleep. And Busted Open Radio XM hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to do a 10 a.m. interview tomorrow to promote the show? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure I do. Peter, I'm supposed to be protecting my energies. But also, I'm like, if we can sell a few more tickets, if we can get a few more eyes on it, it's that would be great. Right. I want to say, if there's any media people who listen to my show, a lot of people interview me multiple times. I know it's called Effie's Big Gay Brunch. I get it. I fucking wedged myself into a hole. There are so many other people on this show you can interview. There's so many other talents that are just as good at talking about gay stuff and big gay brunch. And they're not just a, a cis white male. You know what I mean? Like I'm a gay man. I get it. But there are people who have very different stories. There are people who have very different backgrounds who would be just as exciting to talk to. And yeah, they may not get the exact clicks you get, but they're going to click on learning about Effie's big gay brunch and you can find it. And maybe I can supplement, but to act like I'm the only one on the show and that's the only person you can talk to in media. I kind of get where they're coming from, but guys, you got to help me out by reaching out to some of these other people too as they grow in stardom and gain their confidence and uh, are traveling more and doing more bookings. It would it would be very helpful to spend your time interviewing them. I think the queer media outlets have done a good idea, a good job with that, but I think it can be hard sometimes to kind of pitch them on that without sounding like a dick. So I'm going to sound like a dick and pitch them on it and say, Effie's been interviewed. There's enough. There's so much content of me being interviewed. Let me let me live one more year and then we can talk again. Because I currently I live and then I talk about it, but not just here. But like, I get interviewed about the thing that happened last week by some media journalist, and you're like, give it a second. I don't even know how I feel about this yet. This is us processing. I don't have to know how I feel about anything. This is raw dogging it and letting it out and just saying how it is. And I might process it later, but when you have to give answers that you know are going to end up in some fucking uh, retweet scandal and everybody wants their clickbait headline, it's I'm very hesitant to want to get on the line with anyone these days, truly, except for you, Peter. All right. We went back to a magical place. Now, there's a small video on the Patreon, patreon.com slash weekend at Effie's, and it does feature a clip of the upstairs of the Silicon Valley sex dungeon uh, inhabited by the one and only uh, Trevor Outlaw. Now, it is... Allie at first was like, why didn't we get a hotel? I don't blame her. I We stayed at the hotel last time. Tony Deppin came up to me and he goes, I'm staying at the worst hotel I've ever stayed at. And I go, oh, same hotel we were staying at last time. <laughs> and I said, Allie, trust me. For one second, trust me. Come with me. Let's go to the Silicon Valley sex dungeon. And we did 
And she said, we made the right choice. She's like, he has a hibachi grill. And I was like, he has a hibachi grill. And I think there was also a magic to being a little away from the city at that moment. He's a little bit suburban in that because you're sort of inaccessible if anybody has panic things they need. Oh, someone needs a ride. Someone needs this. Where is this? Where is that? We sort of disappear from it and we go away. The show itself uh, was fantastic for freelance, but sleeping in was phenomenal. I woke up and did the interview, and then I went and slept on the upstairs couch that was just out with the sun coming in. I took another nap. Allie woke up and was like, I'm going to the gym. And I was like, great. Manders was with us too. So Allie and Manders, I think, well, no, Manders stayed with me. Trevor and Allie went to the gym to be great. And me and Manders stayed right there on that couch. We laid on couches, and we watched Stan Hansen, Terry Funk, Giant Baba, Kabashi, Dory Funk Jr., old all Japani matches from like 81 to 86. And to see like there's such a beautiful spirit to that to the wrestling in that time where everyone goes, Well, they thought it was real back then. Well, guess what, motherfuckers? I talked to Jeff Jarrett and I said, Jeff Jarrett, you know it's confusing. We only have one little bit, it feels like sometimes. They think they know everything, and if you can get them on one little thing, one little grip, they'll come back. And he goes, that's all it's ever been, bro. And I'm going, damn, maybe that is all it's ever been. People know what's going on. People know what's happening. But these guys lean into the chaos of that of, you think you know what's happening, and now I'm up next to you in the stands throwing chairs, and now I'm bleeding all the way, and now people are running around, thrown into barricades. And I think the chaos of that made it seem that even if it was even if it was in a sense predetermined or there had been a discussion about a, a match beforehand, that there was something still unpredictable about the whole thing. And I think we need to maintain that energy as performers to where if we are trying to make sure everything looks perfect, we are so dumb because we are emulating a fight and watching Dory Funk and Terry Funk take on, you know, Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody and seeing that no one in that building, you know, gave a shit whether they locked in the armbar all the way when they were throwing shit and making each other bleed. There's plenty to be said about it, but it is kind of a beautiful reminder of like, this is supposed to be violent chaos. We're telling a story, but we don't have to hold your hand while we tell the story and we don't have to show you every little thing and we don't have to do all these little wimpy tricks to get to the point. We can just be big old bad tough motherfuckers and we can cause mayhem. But it is sometimes beautiful to do choreography and we'll get to that part later with Sunday Comes. We decided to go to the show though and I can't reveal any of the story. I was having a great time at the show. We saw everybody. It is very nice. It is very rare for me to be a part of a wrestling show that I'm not booked on. And so to walk into the building... There's a little bit of that triggering anxiety of like, if I'm here, I probably need to be getting ready for something or something's going wrong or there's a match. But I had to kind of kick myself back and remind myself like, oh, nothing's going wrong. We're good. I have nothing to do tonight. I get to watch the show. The show is mayhem. There's a lot going on. Uh, This is real, though. There were two people I ran into at this show. And one of them I did not speak to, but we had an interaction. Now, people won't know this, but the first interaction, maybe they do know this. Did I bring, I brought up me and Dave Meltzer at PWG before, right? Where I almost spilt his pitcher of beer in his lap trying to get to the bathroom to pee. All right, well, he was sitting in front of me. He's a big wrestling journalist. And I tried to get away from the seat to go pee. And Dave Meltzer sitting in front of me. So, And the seats there are very tight. I almost spilled his whole beer on him while I was trying to get to the bathroom. That's our first, the first time we'd ever interacted. So... Second time, he, you know, he really didn't like the match I had with Jeff Jarrett. I personally don't take any offense. And I also ask wrestling people to remember that, like, if if you enjoy something, 
or if you think something is cool, or if you don't enjoy something, one person's opinion should never change that, especially someone who lives in you know the attic with papers all over the floor and uh, barely has you know functioning social skills to leave the house. You know what I mean? Like this is probably not the guy to take all your advice from. But he has said plenty of shit. He is he knows his way. I was on a vibe because I was in a great mood and things had gone well. We got through the first match. I've got war games tomorrow, obviously. And I see Dave Meltzer backstage. Now, I think he's there because Brian Alvarez had a match, which for as much shit as Brian Alvarez talks, he's a very nice fellow to me. Terrible fucking pro wrestler. Please, guys, I get the joke. Let him be a wrestling journalist. Please stop letting him in a wrestling ring. It is it is uncomfortable to watch. Uh, Wait, he's a he's so he's so a he like used to be an MMA fighter and then he was like an indie wrestler for a second, but now he like will take the occasional like comedy booking, I guess. But it's like not even like bad like bad on purpose. It's like, hey, bro, like maybe we gotta. Do you want us to help you run the ropes earlier in the day or something? Could we? I don't know. Oh, and I'm sure this is gonna cause me even more grief because you know if he's a shit talker, but it's sort of like you're sort of looking at the caliber of talent who wasn't booked on the show, and you're looking at this, and I'm not asking to be booked, and you're like. I don't know if this I don't know if this drew its money back. I think we maybe should have just had Tom Lawler in a match and put Killer Kelly versus Billy Starks and let Brian Alvarez on commentary. I don't know. I'm not against Brian Alvarez. I'm just like as I grow older in this industry, I always kind of look for the ROI on things. Either way, Dave Meltzer is backstage and he gave me the head nod, like the like the you know, like there's different head nods. There's a sup head nod, like come over here and let's chat. And then there's the, like, I acknowledge you head nod, but we're not going to have a huge conversation here. And he did the acknowledge head nod as I was going by. And I didn't hesitate to just blow this man a kiss. <laughs> I blew this man a kiss, full on, all the motions, kept walking, went away and went, what am I even doing? Like, what am I doing here? Just being... As effy as effy can be, I didn't mean anything by it. But yes, the second interaction with Effie and with Dave Meltzer is uh, is me yawning right now before I tell you, which is I blew him a kiss. <laughs> I blew that man a kiss. I don't think he knew what to do with it. He looked great in his denims again. No shade to anyone. Please stop taking anything I take, you know, say like it's my rule in wrestling is this. If you're above me, we're feuding. If you're making more money than me, if you're more well known, we're feuding. You dumb motherfuckers. If you're under me, I'm lifting you up. I want to bring you up. I want to put you over. I want to make you shine. I want to tell people about you. But if you're above me and making more money, I'm feuding. Do you want to know why, Peter? Do you, does this make sense why? Because if I'm feuding with someone who's above me and they agree to a match, I go up. Yeah. This is the oldest tale of time. Of course I'm going to shit talk people. That's what pro wrestling is. I'm not personally attacking people. I'm not like, whatever. He's a bad wrestler. Brian Alvarez is a bad wrestler. That's objective. For someone who rates wrestling, he should try harder. Dave Meltzer needed me to blow him a kiss. That's all I got to say about that. After that show, things piped down. We said, all right, well, we got to figure this out. We went to the hotel. People are starting to arrive for brunch already. But I was like, I can't, I can't just you know, live out all night. I'm going to bed. A lot of other people went out. They stayed out all night. They did their thing. I said, for the sake of my body, I'm going to bed. And I think there's still exhaustion to the social component of just seeing a thousand people in a day, catching up with a thousand people, talking about things with a thousand people. There's a social component where, like my mom said, sometimes you got to get away for a second. Sometimes you got to close your brain. And it's not that I was at a point where I was like, I have to get away. But it was like, if I go do this now, I'll be even better tomorrow. We'll be less drained. Knowing that your battery's a little low and not risking the phone going dead, you know? So I, I rested. I slept in. I had to wake up a little early, though, 
because I had to go get the rental car. And now this next part, I'm not going to be shady because everyone works really hard. But I had people that I thought were going to be using this rental car to pick people up from the airport. Now, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. I was a little rude to some of the talent previous in the week because they had been sort of questioning like the details. Uh, and I think they were in fair they were probably in a fair mood to question the details, asking things like, will we have a ride? Will we have this? Will we have that? And I'm going, a lot of the people, only the people asking me were people who have worked on my shows before. And I can go back and go like, y'all, y'all, there's never been this issue. Why would you ask the first time? I've told you someone will be there to pick you up. We'll be there to take you to the hotel. And I didn't know it was going to be me. <laughs> I should have known it was going to be me. I didn't know it was going to be me. Some opportunities came up for people on the settlement series, and I'm not going to deny someone the opportunity to go get a booking, to go do what they need. Uh, the car's in my name anyway. This is probably safer. I picked up five different people, got them all driven around town, got them all settled at the hotels before I went to do the war games. Like wow. I'm, I'm doing all of this sort of like, as I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go bleed here in a couple hours. I'll see y'all soon. And they're like, well, can you take us to the show later? I'm like, I got to be at the show now. There was like, there's sort of a limit to my, my uh, ability to do that. You know what I mean? Um, I would be delighted if I got an Uber and you pulled up. Well, it was also kind of nice because, you know, I'm picking up the people who were concerned and going, what do you think would happen? Now, there were plenty of other pickups to do. And thankfully, other people took care of those pickups uh, Sunday morning, which are like the worst of the worst pickups and getting everybody there in that way. And then getting people to the venue, too. Shout out Mateo Valentine, uh, Chicago Baby, helping us out and was on the show showing out as well. Uh, but I think it was also a way for me to just sort of distract myself from uh, distract myself from from knowing the task ahead, which is. Not only am I dealing with my show in the morning and everyone kind of coming in at once and everyone using me as a point of contact, I also have to enter a double cage blood match to win tag team championships. And like, no matter how much you prepare for this, I think if you prepare for it or like me, if you have been in one of these before, it is a nightmare. We love doing them. I love doing it for the people. I think it's fantastic. I think it's very adrenaline. Uh, it's an adrenaline junkie thing. It is exciting. It is too unpredictable. It is full of glass. It is surrounded by a cage. You cannot get anything out of the ring. Once it breaks in there, it is in there with you. There are people jumping off of stuff. There are five different tag teams in there. So the benefit last year being uh, I have five other people on my team. There are six of us against six people. I know who's on my team. Everywhere I look, there's someone who's not on my team. Everywhere I look, there's someone who's trying to kill me with glass. The Briscoes, the fucking Macizos, SGC, uh, Alex Cologne, John Wayne Murdoch, and I'm there with my bussy sister Allison, and it's like, what a night at the office to have to run into this cage and know you're facing certain pain and punishment. There's no way around it. There's, there's no way to get through a match like this without feeling the pain and feeling just, uh, I mean... Thank God for adrenaline because in that match you're getting injured with things and you don't know what's happening really. And I did have a moment where it took me out for a little bit in the match because a very long, sharp piece of glass entered into my trapezius muscle straight down and was gushing. And you sort of ask the ref, is this a gusher? Uh, is this a gush? 
It is a gush. But is it a gash or a cut? And it's hard to see there. And then with that many people and those many things going on, there's nowhere to hide to kind of wipe it and check it. We tried to wrap it at the time, but it was still kind of pouring out. I ended up finishing the match, but you know, the last thing I'm taking is I'm having my head dropped into a bundle of tubes by one of the Briscoes, and then I'm getting elbow dropped by the other one. And, you know, it's a little fuzzy after that. You know, Matt Matt Justice is jumping off stuff. We're all limping around. I get to the back, and they start trying to clean this shoulder up, you know. That's all I'm going to say about War Games, by the way. It was like kind of, it's kind of like a war flashback, I imagine. I'll probably have to go talk to a therapist one day. They'll be like, have you ever done anything too great? And I'll be like, I don't know, I don't know. And then I start processing this, and I'm like, oh, I might have uh, War Games PTSD. But the end of the match, Alex Cologne was so destroyed and they did win those tag belts, Cologne and Murdoch. Uh, not, not the choice I would have made uh, to win, but I can't win. We tried. Everybody tried. Everybody tried their best. Bussy got outmatched in a war games match. You know, I can be mad. I can say those guys don't deserve to be champions or bastards. They hate each other. But all I can do is hope we get another opportunity that's not in the blood cage. That man ended up at the hospital because of that match, winning that oh match. God. Draining that much blood, staying there all night. So uh, big ups, Alex Cologne, deathmatch legend. I, I told him after the like I said, uh, you sure you don't want me to teach you how to do a comedy match so you don't have to do this anymore? <laughs> he said, it's not me. I said, I know. I know it's not you. Uh, but I wish some days for your own health that it was. They wrap me up. They try to wrap me up. But in the process of wrapping me up, that's when Alex Cologne comes to the back. And he requires much more energy in this. So this thing starts gushing again. My knee is gashed open. But all in all, I could have been much worse. I could have had much worse issues in that match than just a poke in the shoulder and a knee. And it's hard to go like, hey, AJ, I'm fine. And then he sees me and he's like, you're not fine. And I'm like, relatively fine. Uh at the and this is going to go on eBay. I have a few things going up on eBay, Peter, very soon, uh, including signed Mox posters by Mox and Effie, signed posters by uh, Suzuki and Effie, uh, the gown I wore at Big Gay Brunch with Amazing. the ski mask, as well as this item, which is I don't know if it's for everyone, but I think it's one of the best items I've ever seen. As I sat there with my shoulder gushing out and blood coming down everywhere and thick, like I was at the point where I was like. I can lose a little more blood, but not really. Uh, the hole is not big, but I'm losing a lot of blood. It all pooled under my ass and in my trunks and in my thighs. And I stood up from the chair once they had wrapped me because I didn't want to move. I stood up from the chair once they had wrapped me and I looked down. And my full fish print, fishnet print, leg, latex, ass, and balls print is now on this chair in my own dripping blood. It is on my chair in my own dripping blood. And I look down and I go, this is beautiful. But I wasn't thinking about it very much then. And luckily the chair just got put to the side. I got wrapped up. I had to wait around for a good bit after the match to get some things sorted. But I just sort of, I knew we'd be back in the building in the morning. So I just left everything there. I just said, fuck it. I'm leaving it. I left the chair. I left my gear. I left everything. I told the building. I said, it's going to be fine. Just leave it, close the building, whatever. I'll be back in the morning. I'm going to get back to the morning because this piece of chair, this chair was beautiful. The print had dried and I saw it the first thing when I came in in that morning for the brunch. And I said, it's mine. It's one of the venue chairs. Sorry, y'all. I've done enough for you. 
I've done enough for your vegan. I've sold enough mimosas to fucking pay your rent for a year. Welcome to the micro economy of Effie. I'm going to start collecting it like a, like a gang warrior or whatever. You go Effie back on the, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm being a piece of shit. Uh, I said it was mine. I wrote war games with a Y in it. I wrote Effie's big gay brunch and I signed it and I held on to it. So that will be up that item. The blood chair will be up on eBay soon. I don't know when in the next few weeks with the traveling, I don't know when, but we're going to figure this out. We're going to be fine. Peter, I have a feeling hopeful, but I left after, and you know, the tradition last year back to protecting my energies, uh, was Matt justice going, you know, do you think sting slept after Starcade? It's like, I don't know. We better go ask him. He's wrestling now. I'm sure he gets rest now, but we stayed up all night last year and it was mostly adrenaline and people and seeing our friends and knowing, and then knowing like, do I sleep two hours and wake up at eight to go to my brunch? Or do I just get through the brunch and then sleep through the rest of the day? And that was the decision I had made at that time. But this year I said, I'm going to hang out with my friends for a little while. I'm going to enjoy myself. But then my ass is going to bed. And I chose that and I went to bed and it was beautiful. I woke up that next morning. Things had already started moving. Things were already happening. Airport runs are happening. I don't like waking up into chaos, especially as someone who is a addicted to nicotine. I don't know if you've woken up as a nicotine addict in the morning, but there's a tightness and a light worry and an anxiety that is there based on just nicotine. If you're addicted to nicotine, you felt it, you know it, you wake up. And especially once I get the coffee and it's like, you're ready to clear this thing out. You got to get some nicotine in you. Waking up into a lot of messages that currently have to be dealt with is usually stressful. I was prepared for it. I was ready for it. I knew the nicotine was coming. I didn't even look at my phone. I smoked a joint. I hit my vape. I chilled. And then I checked my phone. Because you know what I figured out that I forgot for a long time? This used to be a trick I would tell people in management. Don't answer your phone for 15 minutes. If it's an absolute crisis or an emergency, if someone's health is at risk, if they've told you this, do it. But if you have assessed the problem and you're going to call them back or you're going to set something up or you're going to see what happens, nine times out of ten, when people have called me with worries, I'm not the one who actually fixes it. But I take on the stress of it. I've got to hear the worry. I've got to start doing research. As soon as I get to a solution, hey, we figured it out. I finally remembered that for the first time in my career. As I sort of reflected on, I said, I said to myself, I never want to be middle management again. And it's because I don't like being the the one that has to fix it for everyone else all the time. I'm very good at it. You know this, Peter. Peter, you're the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you put this? I'm not ignoring the problems by any means. But I sort of said, you know what? There are a lot of capable adults around me. If I teach my kid how to ride a bike, but I have to hold the bike the whole time, I've never taught my kid how to ride a bike. And so I sort of laid back and let things happen. And if they really needed me, they needed me. But if they didn't, they didn't. And if you asked to help with something, I gave you something to help with. Or I gave you someone to contact to help with it. And so by the time I arrived to the brunch, everything's already rolling. Everything's already happening. The show's on the road. The food's getting set up. Uh, people are practicing in the ring. Everyone's meeting each other. Chairs are being set up. I saw uh, Moondog Murray, who was on the show. He was just there to volunteer and help out and set chairs up. And he came up and said, nice to meet you. And I purposefully did this. I left a spot in that scramble because I said, I bet I'm going to find somebody that weekend that could use the spot more than somebody I need to bring in right now. And he was there earlier than me, setting up chairs, helping out, Chicago native, I think, 
from what I understood and was friends with some of the other people on the show. And I said, you're on dude. I've seen your stuff. He's DM me before. This is the part where like, it is hard to be an emotional person. Sometimes you go to people and you go, well, how do you do this? Or how do, how do you get through this? Or how do you find this out? And their answer generally is I'm a psychopath. Like treat, like I remember thinking a guy used to like, I think about him all the time because he was always very good at business. My former boss. And I'm not going to name him. I'm not going to bring him in, but I sort of have the reflection of like a lot of the things he did, he was able to do because like he had no emotional connection to any of it. And it was just like, no, that's what you do. You just like get rid of people and you just like refuse to give people their money. And if you broke grandma's cabinet, you just give her 60 cents a pound. And so having that kind of mentality, it broke me from wanting to be in middle management of being told by my boss who pays my bills. This is what you have to do. And then having to go and be the one that breaks the news there. I don't ever want that middle management feeling again, but I used it to the best of my ability in this way because I delegated. I was there. I was not the in-between necessarily. I sort of was pointing at other people who could do the work. Uh, But that skill was very much so useful in this way. And I found a way to do it with emotional connection and with a way of sort of treating everyone as humans and treating everyone politely. And to see that show come together the way it did and to see my skills that are, they're it's triggering to me that I'm this good at management. And I don't know when it won't be because being that good at management put me in a position to get started in my wrestling career and fund my outside activities and be able to put out merch and do things. But it also like almost broke me emotionally to do those things and to have to treat people like bad people. And you know, it's, it's a tough thing, but to be able to go back and kind of cherry pick those things and go, it is going to feel triggering if you're using these skills, but you can't just go with your hands in your ears and act like you don't know what you're doing here. Right. You don't need to give everything. You don't need to milk yourself out. You know, as we said earlier, mommy's milkers are running out of milk sometimes. Okay. Sometimes the teats are dry and I got a lot of people sucking on the teats sometimes and it can be a little overwhelming, but to not add my skill to that would be dismissive and would be destructive to other people's, you know, hard work that they're putting in. And I feel like it was the most well-organized. I was the most energy rested I've ever been. I was the most together I've ever been for a brunch. Everything came together. It was an honor to work with Maxi and Paler. Uh, they understand that on those show days, I am running around crazy. Even if I'm a little together, things are changing, timing, this and that. Now, here's where we're going to get really weird, Peter. And thank you to everyone who's a part of the brunch. Thank you to everyone who helped with the brunch. And thank you to everyone who came to the brunch. I will keep doing this because it keeps putting on good people. But I am looking around and going, there's no reason Effie has to do all of this anymore. And there are a lot of capable people who could step up full time and be ready to do this without me thinking I have to take everything on just because I'm capable in some way. You know, just because your car could drive on the empty tank doesn't mean you don't need to get a little gas, baby. Okay. So at the beginning of the show, me and Brett have a pretty fun relationship on things like this. We're going through the timing and what, what is going to get timing? What is going to be this? And he said, call it. And when he says call it, he means what time is this show going to end? Now, Peter, I've had a lot of numbers pop up and it's all stupid, whatever, astrology. Okay, all right. Listen to me. At 10.55 a.m. when we finished this up, we went live at 11 a.m. on the dot. I said, Brett, we will finish at 1.40 p.m. After I got chokeslammed off the ladder and made the decision there through my pain, I got chokeslammed off that ladder, Peter. Did you see it? I did. And we're going to go back and talk through the brunch a little with just Peter briefly. (laughs) After everything I went through, people were like, there's no way he's doing this. And then I did it because I can. 
I walked through the curtain after my big speech. And yeah, I want to be clear here. I cheated to beat Maxie and Baylor. I cheated. They chokeslammed me off a ladder. I was getting worried. They're a monster. They're going to kill me. I had to get out of there. I was in a lot of pain. I put my foot on the ropes to roll them up. I had to do it. Okay. I got back after my big hoorah speech. And I don't plan these speeches, Peter. I'm like, I'm going to give a speech at the end. I probably say, you know, I'm going to say something. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm feeling. But at that point, I'm so spent and out and I'm done with everything that it sort of unloads and I let it let it out and I say what I want to say. I even got a little bit booed at one point for something I said, which I was very fired up on because it lets me know that Hollywood Effie, there's money in Hollywood Effie. I walk back through the curtain. The first person I walk up to, Allison Catch. I say, Allie, time. She holds up her phone. 1.40 p.m., Peter. Screenshot it. Screenshot it. We finished exactly when I said we would. Last year, the show was timed out uh, in Dallas. I guess it was this year. In Dallas, the show was three hours and 13 minutes, which is the exact length of Return of the King, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, before it hits the credits. Now, I think that's a perfect length. I do think it was a little long, and I think I could have tightened things a little bit. I made changes to tighten things a little bit. I didn't know I would be exact, but it lets you know, not only can Effie time a match, Effie can time a show, and Effie timed that show down to the minute. So this is where it gets a little confusing, I think, for people. And now, I don't want to bring up the tumultuousness going on in AEW, but I will say this to anyone who is a wrestling fan and who is around wrestling or who is a wrestler. This shit moves so fast. Vince McMahon isn't even at the WWE anymore. Everything shifts in wrestling so fast that you have to just give your all and give your best. No goal you hit, no place you get to will make you feel complete as a wrestler. But I can say now, no matter what anybody says of me, I can do anything I need to do in wrestling. I can do a hardcore cage match. I can do an Insano match with the freelance guys who are running spots with Mustafa Ali in their spare time and hit me with a victory roll spear. I can run a show. I can time a show. I can time a match. I can do a main event. I can do a six-minute spot. I can cut a promo. I can take you back. I can give to the people what they need. I can be an entertainer. I am very good at pro wrestling. I am better at all aspects of pro wrestling than a lot of people who ever get signed or are on TV. And a lot of times, if you look at TV careers, they don't go past two or three years anyway. I am true to me, and I've dealt with a lot of problems because of it. But I know in my heart that there aren't many others who have the same mastery that I have or the same experience I have. There are plenty of people who are very good at all of these things. But I know through my unique experience that validation will never come from those others. It is great to have success. It is great to have everyone around you love you. It's not as fun when they all hate you, but I get it. Uh, but I validate myself. And I know I am good at all of these things. And I hope that if you are seeking validation in different ways, in different formats, that you will be able to understand that at the end, no matter how high you get up, no matter what promotion you get, no matter, you know, if you set a goal and you hit it and you guys still feel a little weird inside, it's about you wanting, it's about you. Let me just say that. It's about you. Not in a narcissistic way, but in a way where you go, the rest of the world could disagree with me, but I know in my head I'm doing the right thing. And I think in those moments, I'm doing the right thing. And it'll, uh, it'll play the way it plays, Peter. 
but hopefully in this grand change of things, I could have never imagined where I'd be here years ago. I could have never. I wanted to do this because I was so confused about what was real anymore. And I said, well, there's only one way to find out. I said, I'm going to itch forever if I don't give this a shot. And now that I have, I've competed with people at every level, I have uh, seen superstars, you know, they say, well, you've never done anything. I've done everything that I need to do. That doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. It doesn't mean I'm done. It means I'm a fucking sharp knife. And I'm a sharper knife than I've ever been. And the more I learn about things that we're supposed to be worried about in reviews and, uh, you know, getting on certain things or listening to certain people, the more I realize at the end of the day, one day we all return to the earth. This is dark, Peter. One day we all return to the earth. I will not be disappointed in my behavior, in my actions, or what I've been able to do. And there will be toughness in it. But with toughness comes reflection. And sometimes I need reflection. I hadn't reflected in a long time, Peter. I hadn't sat down and just been with myself and uh, plug the Patreon as my eyes swell up. There's a mini so there that I think is good for everybody to hear. And uh, it's it's very nice to have this podcast as a podcast, but it's also, it's very nice to come talk with you, Peter. And not that you're a therapist. And I know I sometimes overtake the conversations, obviously, but you got to have people you can lean on, but you got to be able to say to yourself, whether they're agreeing with me or not, I I think I'm doing what's right for me. We got any questions, Peter? We do have questions. We're doing Patreon questions now. I hope that you will take the time to support us there. And if you can't, I understand. But if you can, let me know. Uh, I'd love to hear them. So you, I was invited over to your apartment while you were at Big Gay Brunch. Oh, I didn't even bring this part up. And uh, I was the first one there. Um, well, I was the only one there with AJ for a little bit. So we hung out and he's an amazing host. I had like five cold brew coffees. Like, while I would, I, I'm really impressed when people remember that I don't drink and that yeah. like, actually means quite a bit to he me. He told me that when he invited you, he said, I got him coffees and stuff. Do you think I'll like it? And I was like, yes, he's, he, I totally get that. Like it can be anxiety inducing and he seems a little bit anxious, but he cares so much about people like having a good time and feeling welcome in his space and like things being clean. And I just, I, I got like a different appreciation for it. Just he is with him. a consummate host. And I think I, we both have that hosting tendency, but his is a little more like it's, there's a detail to it that if I'm having to participate in it, it can be a little tough for me, but it is magical to see what he goes for. And I, you know, like there are times where I don't think it's always appreciated when he goes above and beyond for those things. So to hear you say that, I'm, I hope you pass along to him and I'm definitely going to pass it along to him too. I told him many times on the day that he yeah. was, and I made sure to text him after. That's but, fantastic. Um, Did you yeah. enjoy the show, Peter? Now we have to talk about, for, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. So that's, <laughs> that's part of what I'm getting to is it was just us there. We're also like, it was all his friends that were coming over. None of them were like into wrestling or right, anything. Right. So we were the experts, which is uh, it's a predicament for sure. <laughs> uh, just because, I mean, everyone kept looking at me like I knew what was going on. And um, I did not know what was going on because we were watching the wrong Big Gay Brunch. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> oh. You said I got a message from AJ that said, uh, we thought you were wearing a ponytail wig. And it turns out it was last year. When I had a little ponytail. Shout out Tom, who I brought up on the show earlier, uh, on the mini-sode earlier. 
he told me I would never have a little ponytail, and that's why I did that. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we, we were like, what? Yeah, he could have worn a wig. That's a very believable thing. And it's the same venue. It's Chicago. Like it's, I understand the confusion. We, we pulled it up and he was like, Oh, Taylor already purchased it. And, uh, we hit play and it was like, okay, perfectly on time. Little countdown and everything. And we didn't really, there, there wasn't an indication that we were watching the wrong one. To the point where we actually, he texted Dylan McQueen that they got his name wrong, which they didn't. It was because it was from the Because the old one, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I do, I love the idea that we were disrupting things in like a very yeah. small way. A very much, like, they're like, what, what, what? Uh, and then we got to the Dark Sheik Alley Catch match. Yes. That's how far we got. Psychotic. And uh, they had the the thumbtack dildo that they used at one point in that match. I th- we might we the thing that tipped us off is is it Taya Valkyrie? Taya Valkyrie was the third in that match. He goes, "Isn't Taya supposed to be in this match? It's just Sheik and Allie. Does she come later?" And I was like, "Maybe this ain't the right show." <laughs> and then he figured it out and texted me. But yeah, uh, the the rematch this year between Sheik and Allie also included Taya Valkyrie. So I'm glad he ca- caught on to that, but he likes Taya Valkyrie. So of course he was like paying attention to that part. Yeah. So we, if you notice any of the tweets from the weekend at Effie's account, it's all from the wrong gay <laughs> brunch, which is why there was confusion when I was looking at Twitter, but I was like, I don't know wrestling. I'm probably just confused anyway. Someone did ask me about if I thought this move was this move or that move. And I just said, yes, cause I have no idea. Um, but we did watch. I don't think moves should have real names. I think you just call it what you want. Yeah. We we flipped over at the end and we caught the actual uh, Alley Catch and Dark Sheik and Taya Valkyrie. Yes. And then we watched your match. And that's as much as the, the, the Sunday that we watched. I think that's incredible. You watched uh, Back in Time, Front in Time. It's It's kind of nice. Like, it's frightening and triggering, like I said, to keep walking into this building where, like, I've bled and I've died and I've just had so many of my wrestling memories there, but also there's sort of the benefit of like, I survived a whole nother year. I am still here. I am still over with the fans. I'm still able to put on these shows. There's like this, there's a mystical property to it almost, you know, it's uh, I'm glad you got to see both Peter (laughs) parts of both. It is as they say, yeah, Maxie and Paler, they were, it was not the wisest move for me to book uh, myself against them at that point in my in my weekend, but I was also like, I don't have to spend any more energy after this. I will say afterwards, just going back to it, we had a wonderful time all together at the hotel, hanging out with Jayla J, hanging out with Eddie McQueen, hanging out with JV Dahl and Devon Monroe and Ashton Starr. And the, the SGC boys came by Matt justice and Manders came by, uh, and Mance while we were all, all the gays were there. And I think there's sort of like, these guys are like, well-known wrestling stars, right? And so I know they're my boys, but you sort of walk in and they've never met these guys before and they're very, very heterosexual looking and very kind of tough and intimidating. And then like you realize they're all big softies and everyone was just so bonded and having a great time. Dark Sheik too. She saved my fucking life so many times this weekend. What a blessing she is all the time. I can't stop gloating over how much I love Dark Sheik. She's also one of the people who will look me and be honest with me and like be like, stop fucking doing that. And you're like, what? She's like, look what you're fucking doing. Stop. It's not good. And having those people around you, it is, it is magic. 
they're not just coworkers at the thing. They're just like, hey, on a human level, look what you're doing. Chill. Chill. And I need I need people like that, like Dark Sheik. Allie's like that too, but Dark Sheik's, I don't want to say slightly more responsible, but <laughs> I love Allie Catch. <laughs> she had a big weekend. Uh, all right, let's get into questions. Um, so this is from Steve. Not a question, but I went to a trivia night last week, and it was name that song an artist for extra points. When Goodbye Yellow Brick Road came on, my girlfriend and I looked at each other out loud, yelled Effie, and started singing along. Just wanted to share that. Synchronicity is everywhere. I appreciate that very much. Uh, someone asked me what happens when Elton plays that song on his on his uh, tour. Uh, that's when I sneak into his green room and steal all of the snacks. Every time he's playing that song, I sneak into his green room like a little imp in the night, and I steal all his snacks. And he gets back and he goes, where are the snacks? And I go, God. What kind of snacks does Elton John eat? He only eats frozen grapes. Okay. And uh, I like frozen grapes. 24-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about Elton. Uh, Effie, this is from Vamplet. Vamplet. What is, Effie, what is one thing you as a performer wish fans understood better about wrestling either as an industry or the performance art itself or both uh i think what they should understand and and no wrestlers will really give you this answer because they want to be tough is matches matches exhaust you but it can also be exhausting just being at those shows, just on a social level, not in a bad way, not in a way where we don't want to see people. And I think sometimes I want to make sure if people are coming out to see me on purpose, that I'm going out to these people, that I'm letting them see me, that I'm giving them that version of myself. But there's sometimes where it's like, I'm a little on autopilot and I need you to bear with me. And if people don't come out, don't hold it against them. I come out all the time. I try to come out every time. There are a few instances where like when Jeff Jarrett concussed me with a guitar, I did not come out. When John Moxley headbutted the shit out of me after that title match and I was feeling it, I did not come out. But for the most part, I'm trying to come out. Just give us a little patience and be mindful of the time with us. Get your pictures, talk with me, take it. But sometimes I if you want to see me with panic eyes, it's I'll look I'll look at you, I'll be in full conversation, I'll be talking to someone, and I never want to run anybody off. I want to have moments with everyone. But then I look back and I see that the line has tripled and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. And, you know, like I don't eat a lot before the matches. I like to eat after the matches. And then it gets so late that there's no food. Just be mindful of our time. Be mindful of that. But please come say hey and come spend time with us. If someone's not out there, though, don't be offended. It's uh, they probably needed it, you know. All right. This one's from Julie. How do I get Peter to read my birth chart? Okay. Julie, I don't know yet. We have to figure this out. And I feel like this is something where this is one of those things where it's like in desperation, we figure out moments. I think, I think this is something Peter should start offering, you know, on, on a real level. Yeah. So I, my general life plan is to actually head into doing that professionally. I don't feel comfortable charging money for that yet. Reach out to me, shoot me a DM. We can set up a time and do a consultation, you know, send me your birth data or whatever. And like what you'd like to focus on. It's really good for me to get practice, especially looking at charts that I haven't seen before. just to, you know, get an idea and everything. That's only going to be for Patreon. Folks, yeah. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Most definitely shoot us a message on there. Let Peter know if you're interested. Uh, I think, you know, I want to start making the discernment in the Patreons between the smaller and higher, you know, scale, 
of support. And so we are looking at a few different options to make that higher scale a little bit uh, better for you because I really appreciate your support and I want to make it worth your time. I talked to Allie about this. She's like, I've, I've, I had the same concerns. A lot of people are just there for the, just to support you, but also like they want the stuff. So you have to balance it. But I want to make sure we're giving everybody, you know, their value when it comes to the podcast, not just the early podcast. I know that helps, uh, but you know, a bunch of other stuff too, and kind of a little more behind the scenes since you're taking care of us. Uh, I'm also going to be, I've been writing a little thing on this coming Mercury retrograde and like just the ins and outs of what we're looking at and it. that'll go up in a couple of days. Perfect. Peter, it has been such a long, exhausting day and I hope that going forward, we didn't even talk about the thing really. I'm on Netflix, Peter, in October. Do you want to talk about that? That's one of the questions. Yeah. Is that, can we phrase it as a question? Um, okay. So this is from Julie. I need all the backstage fun stuff from the shows this weekend and everything Effie is allowed to share about Paranormal Park. Okay. The backstage stuff from this weekend that was fun probably won't include me. I think everyone was having a great time. And I do think one thing I'm really good at is doing a pre-show meeting. There's no one who does a pre-show meeting like Effie. I try to put confidence in my people. I try to make sure they understand we're here for the same reasons. I understand it is nerve wracking to be on this big stage, especially for the first time with some people, but to sort of see that like, Hey, we're all the same kind of in this boat. And I think we should look out for each other. And by the end of the show, you have so many new friendships. You have so many new people who are getting to know each other. So many new people connecting and like, it's not me doing it a hundred percent, but I provided a place where these people who I think should be meeting and hanging out and com combining their powers are doing that. And so I think as we kind of look forward from the brunch, it's not just the brunch. It's sort of seeing what other LGBTQ people step up and seeing them all kind of coming up with ideas together and meeting. And they're all from different places. They're all from different wrestling areas. It's, it can only lead to good things. So that's the backstage that I can give you on that. And, you know, my speech obviously is a little ridiculous. Uh, I will say, because it was publicly pictured, Nyla Rose did show up from AEW and she was just there to support everybody. And it, it, it makes such a difference to those talents when they see someone like her who is on TV, who has been on the indies, who has had a storied career, who has been the AEW Women's Champion, to just come and hang out and show her support for everyone. It's, I mean, I don't think she even knows how far that goes. And she was probably just coming to hang out and have a little escape too, but it is so wonderful to have her there. Uh, it was a great show. Okay, Dead in Paranormal Park. It's been confusing for people because I haven't been able to say anything. And they put me in that press release in June. And it got a lot of retweets in action. And then I sort of had to slow off on it because I couldn't discuss that there was a season two and I couldn't discuss who I was in season two. And so there were a lot of tweets going like, I don't even hear him in this season. I've listened to every part and every background character. And I'm like, hold up, son. Effie, will you will know it's Effie. And I have been cleared by the creator of the show. And there's one image of my character that is out there now. I put it on Instagram. <clears throat> My voice is not going to be ready to do this voice today. Uh, so I'm not going to do it. I'm going to surprise you with the voice. Uh, I am playing Asmodeus. And he is the, in this concept, the prince of the underworld. Now, he's also one of the, am I wrong in saying 13? One of the main 13 uh, demons. Is it 13 or it's my? It's 12. It's 12. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I'm the 13th. Uh, and falls amongst those like, you know, your Beelzebubs and your Lucifers and in that big realm category. Asmodeus is my new life. Now, Peter, we're going to have to do a whole podcast about my demon upgrade because I don't think people understand this. In April of 2016, I did 
make a pledge to a a demon. Have we talked about this on the show a lot? We've talked about it a tiny bit. Actually, I went to my favorite occult bookstore with Will the other day, Mm. our mutual friend. Yes. And uh, was flipping through a little demonology book, and I was like, oh, hey, there's Taylor. Hi, (laughs) it's me. I don't talk like that on the show. That'd be ridiculous. I will say, too, I get some cameos of things in on other characters. That's very exciting. Uh, When I made this pledge, kind of, you know, at the time, you know, intentional yet wistful, I'm a wild cat, I gotta tell you. Five years almost to the date uh, from when that happened is when I was offered the role. So this, and you're going, well, what does this have to do? The demon I pledged to and the sigil on the back of my leg, Citri, is a lower level version of almost the same identical demon. Uh, Still a very powerful demon, but a demon of lust. And Asmodeus is the largest demon of lust in existence, the most powerful demon of lust. So I've gone from pledging myself to a smaller demon of lust to now portraying the most powerful demon of lust in this in this story and in a cartoon that I think uh, it is TVY7, but I don't think it's just for kids. And I think there are a lot of adults that are picking up on this show and with the themes of you know, LGBTQ acceptance and anxiety and things like uh, neurodivergency and autism and things that I'm learning about, uh, they are tackling a lot of tough personal stuff with ridiculous stuff inside this paranormal park. And when you see sort of towards the end of the season, there's the demons who we've been worried about, but there seems to be something else going on. There seems to be a lot going on. This character arc, I think when you're introduced to this character and you understand what's going on, uh, it's genius. It's brilliant. I am honored to be a part of the show i think somebody told me the other day they said effie you're cement i said what does that fucking mean they said that you could die or disappear or something can happen or you never have another match and like you will still have some sort of permanent legacy i think and they were talking about the brunches and they were talking about this and that um this is now going to be a global thing i'm going to be heard by people around the world i'm now castmates with uh with people like mj rodriguez and uh and people like, uh, this is crazy, Alan Cumming. That's so wild. Haley Joel Osment's sister, Emily Osment. I was watching her on a show yesterday. Patrick Stump did the whole, all the songs on the first Amazing. season. And luckily, uh, you may recognize him from uh, Spider-Man. I think he was in No Way Home, and I think he was in another, the other one, briefly. Uh, Zach Barrick, who is the main voice of Barney on the show, will be interacting a lot in this show. And so... I've been really excited to see how much Zach has blown up just from this and knowing that they were already in Spider-Man and already doing these other things. The press has been so good. And to have like a real life trans dude, who's a dude who's out here just being himself. It means so much to so many kids and to be a part of that bit of representation and be a big gay demon. Boy, I couldn't be any more excited, Peter. Amazing. I love it. I'm stoked. Do you want to end with a fun question? Please. All right, this is from Mike. The last time Effie was in Portland, my partner had an adult edible, which hit right as we got to the meet and greet line, and they decided to have everyone sign their Golden Girls bags as the one they identify with. Effie, why do you identify as Dorothy? What is the energy in both members of Bussy being Dorothy? And Peter, which Golden Girl do you identify with? And real quick, got to point out, this is one of my shortcomings as an African. I have never seen one single episode of Golden Girls. Not one? Not one. It is it is quite possibly one of the best shows of all time. 
It is female focused. They tackle hard subjects. It is not the. It's not based in things that are. Uh, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of shows in that era that are kind of like families with kids and this and that, and they sort of deal with those things. But it's like it gives you the reminder that at any age and with your friends and with your family, there's going to be weird things to deal with. And it's also just so well-written and they're fabulous and they don't take shit. Uh, here, I'm going to explain it here because I think we are all a little bit of each golden girl. Like we're all, we're all kind of like dumb Betty white. We're all kind of like angry mom. You know what I mean? We're all kind of horny Blanche, but Dorothy and see, I think it's, I don't think Effie's a Dorothy. I think, I think that Taylor is a Dorothy, but I think that she's got a, a big, a big, uh, she's got a lot of goals. She's been a little setback. She's trying her best, but she's always going to be there with that, with that straight line knowledge kind of. Now she has to be pulled in sometimes, but there's something, there's something sort of, it's not, She's the one. I can't. I can't always explain it. I wish I was just horny all the time. I wish I was a a, a dummy who can't get everything together. I wish I was just able to slap some wit at you and, and go out and surprise your daughter with you having sex. But she's sort of that central core of like not just reacting to everything, but sort of having to be that little anchor in the middle. So maybe we both feel that way. What about you, Peter? You want to be horny? You want to be confused? You want to be a uh, witty old grandma? Or you want to be a little in the middle? I guess probably a little in the middle. Yeah, that's. I think that's where we all kind of fall. It's a great show, though. And I think there's a Pluto TV channel for free that has it just playing nonstop 24 okay. hours a day. I might do that, though. It's, uh, it'll, it'll take your mind off the world for a minute. They're, they're golden, those gals. 